tells us about Star Trek Discovery and Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, my name is Ian Thomas Mullen. I'm an author, uh, an academic. Uh, I'm a critic for Rotten Tomatoes. Well, a group critic on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm a transgender activist as well. I've been transitioning for about two years now. Cool. When I speak, when I speak at panels, it's Sometimes people see my name tag on the front. Are you in the right spot? (laughs) Right. I met you over Twitter, and uh, so you're a Discovery fan. You know, it was one of those shows when they first announced, I was annoyed that it was going to be on CBS All Access, which really, I I do a lot of of my research focuses on sort of where streaming's going and trying to look at the past 10 years of television and seeing you know, what's worked and what hasn't worked. And you just look at All Access, which has probably the worst back catalog, not even probably, definitely the worst back catalog of any streaming service. And especially in the beginning, you just see, you know, Discovery, and it's just behind this paywall. Although I've actually been pretty pleased with their original programming over the past year, so I'm softening a little bit about that. And I also, with Discovery, thought it was annoying that they were doing yet another prequel series. I mean, if you count the reboot, No. 9 and Enterprise, you know, it's been a really long time since we did anything in the 24th century, which is my favorite era of Star Trek. And I'm going to do Patrick Stewart's coming back for another show on All Access. And actually, on top of that, they're doing a spinoff of the first captain. Uh, Michelle Yeoh is the actress, I forget. The captain that starts off with Discovery, they're doing some sort of spinoff centered around her. I'm not 100% sure if it's going to be the prime character or the one from the Mirror Universe, but we'll see. Wow, I feel like I'm out of the loop here. So Michelle Yeoh is, oh, that's right, the the Chinese woman. Yes, the Malaysian. Um, there we are. Uh, in fact, I just watched her on a movie last night called Sunshine. I didn't, uh, I was kind of surprised to see her in that. Oh, the Cylinder one. Yeah, the Sun one. Right, right. Um, so they're going to do... A spinoff with Michelle Yo. Yes. So that, the Patrick Stewart one, and Discovery, that's going to be not only three Star Treks on, you know, at the same time, but wow. all on the same uh, network, because I guess Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation were the only, well, they were first-run syndication, so those wasn't really, those kind of the absence of a network, but uh, with Discovery, I mean, uh, with Deep Space Nine and Voyager, you had one that was airing on first-run syndication, so new episodes were pretty much determined by where you lived and what your local stations were doing. Right. And then EPN did Voyager and Enterprise, so it's weird to see All Access basically embrace Star Trek in such a degree. I mean, maybe it's not that surprising, but uh, I was a huge fan of the CBS show The Good Wife, the legal drama that aired for seven years, and they did the spinoff of that on CBS All Access, also The Good Fight. And I actually think that's probably even better than The Good Wife. So CBS All Access is kind of a ripoff, but if you're approaching it from the angle of, I'll get it for Star Trek, watch it really quick, and then cancel, which I think it's kind of where we're headed for streaming television anyway. Uh-huh. 
you know, you could do a lot worse. There, There's a solid two months worth of content there for somebody to spend, I don't know, 20 bucks on. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, binge watching it after the episodes have streamed out. Okay. Yeah. And uh, let's see here. So it's like six or seven dollars with ads and uh, under ten dollars without ads, something like nine ninety nine or whatever. I do the um, I do it. I get the channel on Prime Video and they don't do, you know, when I became a critic on Rotten Tomatoes, I can request screeners for a lot like with um, DC all not DC all I DC Universe. They gave me I requested Titans from them and they just gave me a year membership to that. When, I like that service too, but that's also kind of one where, you know, when it comes to scripted content, not the, not as much bang for your buck as something like Netflix, but to right. kind of, kind of alert the, uh, learning the super fans. By the way, how old are you? Because I'm, I'm interested in, in people who like or dislike CBS. Like, I think, I, I think there's a relationship with uh, how old the. Oh, so I'm 27. I actually oh. was covering, I've been covering TV since I was 15. Okay. I was writing for this small little blog, which, uh, the act, uh, went out a couple of years ago, but, um, I used to cover TV ratings. So, you know, I don't really watch much CBS. I don't watch a ton of network TV period, but, uh, I actually, I think the CW in terms of has, uh, one of the better lineups of, uh, network TV right now, which I don't think anybody would have expected. Oh, CW meaning the CW, the, um, oh, I don't know that one. The one with the Arrowverse. Uh, oh. It's geared more towards younger people and mm. women. Mm. It was the merger of UPN, which was where Star Trek Voyager and Enterprise aired, merged with the WB back in 2006, I think. Right, right. Oh, so it became yeah. CW. Okay. It basically just became the WB Part 2. There's not much of UPN's old sort of... Uh, although they focused on science fiction a lot. But, I mean, Star Trek Voyager was the, you know... Something that people don't really understand, like, because I think Deep Space Nine's legacy has been a lot bigger than Voyager. I think a lot of people, you see a lot more ra- rabid Deep Space Nine fans than Voyager. Yeah. I, I count myself among them. Deep Space Nine is my favorite by far. But Voyager was always given more preferential treatment because it was the first Star Trek since the original to air on network TV. So that was uh-huh. a big deal. Voyager was the first wait a minute i don't understand that so so like uh star trek next generation it was network as well uh it aired in first run syndication which means like it wasn't owned by it didn't air first run on nbc or cbs or abc first run syndication means it, it was produced in in-house by i guess paramount or CBS. They, they've split up so many times uh, over the past couple of, uh, past few decades that forget exactly who was what, what the company's named in the 80s, but they would produce it all in-house first, and then they would sell the first-run rights to somebody. I, I don't right, really know. Right, which. to a network for distribution. Okay, that makes sense. Great. Yeah, no, you're uh, bringing in some, some terms I wasn't aware of. Yeah. So Voyager was UPN's show, and that was really their flagship show for the first seven years. And then you know, by the time Enterprise came around, you had the network was... They had really, for the first couple of years, were trying to sort of be Spike TV, which I guess was rebranded into the Paramount Network last year. But uh, UPN was kind of like that. They had a lot of science fiction shows, and that wasn't really working. So they switched their demo, and that's kind of why Enterprise was kicked to the curb, even though its ratings weren't terrible. 
but they weren't that great either. Hmm. Enterprise didn't really completely fail because it was not watched. There was also the big factor of the network just didn't want it around anymore. Oh, okay. Just, uh, okay. Yeah, that makes, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into that and maybe they needed more resources for something else. Who knows? Um, wow. Yeah, you, you really are a TV insider here. So how is CBS doing? Whenever Netflix has a huge show, they release like, oh, X number, you know, 20 million people streamed this, uh, but they're not obligated to release their ratings in the same way as uh, uh, all of the broadcast networks and the cable networks through Nielsen, the third party service. Right. So nobody really knows how, how well it's doing. Although my partner goes to USC Law and they had a panel of CBS people last year and they were talking about how CBS All Access was I think the phrase used was not living up to expectations, but if you looked at it a year ago, I don't really know what the expectations could have been. Right. I I was laughing around this time last year when I got the subscription for CBS All Access originally. I looked at it, and I was trying to watch something in the middle of the week that wasn't that, trying to not feel ripped off by it. Mm. And there was a show, Touched by an Angel, which aired years and years ago in the, I guess, mid-90s and was over by the turn of the uh, early 2000s. And we used to watch it in, I went to Catholic school, we used to watch it in religion class sometimes, and I was trying to look for old episodes. And they'd have like a season of it on, and this is is sort of what's funny, it's called CBS All Access, but it would have like three or four episodes per season. And the part that just made me laugh and laugh was, it only had, the finale of that show was a two-parter, and CBS All Access only has part one. It doesn't have the second part. Huh. So All Access is, you know, limited access. Wow. Yeah, a new streaming service in light of uh, a lot of these giants. That's I don't know what their expectations were. If they were quite low and they're not meeting it, that's, that's kind of too bad. Uh, I was glad. So as a Star Trek fan, that's what got me using CBS All Access and uh, also uh, kind of a rabid hater of ads. So, so I said, well, you know, I'm going to sign up for 10 bucks. Just at least watch the Discovery series. So the first episode of Discovery ran on TV and the kids and I watched it and they were pretty excited about it. And they hadn't really connected with anything uh, Star Trek related yet. So this would be the first one that connected with them. Uh, one's a 13 year old. and The other one's a six, six, now seven year old. And uh, so that, that got them excited. It had kind of the right blend of of science because they both love science and also making it not too it was dramatic enough, I think is the key point. Um, and you could decide if that means high action or not, but, uh, it was dramatic enough. And I think they, they did a much better job than say, uh, the, uh, the new Trek series, uh, the, the movie series the, with bad robot, where it felt like science was farther in the background and more little used and, uh, action was focused on, on those other ones. Yeah. The stuff with the sport drive was a lot of fun on discovery. Just the various. That that era of the Federation is so interesting. And I think the new movies, you know, Starfleet doesn't feel as small as it did in maybe the original series or Enterprise or oh, Discovery true. in the sense that they just had all these shit. I, the, I guess the, the, the base or the where Starfleet was based out of in, in Into Darkness and the original or the original reboot hmm. is kind of an oxymoron. And Star Trek Beyond, it just seemed like there was so much more set up there versus if you're going to do a prequel or you're going to show something at the beginning of the series. As kind of bland as a lot of the sets are on Enterprise, it was it really did feel like you were dealing with the Federation in its infancy. Yeah. And Discovery had that sort of same feeling of 
the ship is out there alone in the kind of wild west and they really they got their backs against the walls and they really were able to work on a lot of stuff that gave it a bit more of an action feel than maybe something like the next generation would right. while at the same time Star Trek is not supposed to be this high octane thing you get some moments that are but i don't think that's why people love it yeah yeah i agree yeah uh, I, I remember uh sulu um he was saying how he was coming he was talking about he's making comments about the uh star trek reboot and how they're that's risky because he didn't think that's why people watch Trek for the, for those things. I have to admit enjoying it, but I, the, the, certainly the first one, cause it just had been so long, but the second one was just like, it's, it was further away from why I enjoy Star Trek. So I find myself enjoying discovery more than those. Uh, I, I the spore drive bothers me a little bit, but then I also tell myself, you know what? Uh, being at my age where I'm at today, there's got to be some other new ideas in science fiction. Otherwise, you know, what's what's the uh, where's the speculation? So uh, so I, I kind of let that one go on the spore drive. That's kind of where the the not to get rudimentary, but the title of the show Discovery, they're kind of discovering going up uh, a new thing. I mean, the, the mandate of the series is to boldly go where no man has gone before and. With all these prequels and reboots, it feels like they're sort of uh, sort of spinning their tire in to boldly go where man went 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And my one complaint about Discovery right now is I, I really don't want Spock to be a big role. I don't. I, I was okay with Sarek because Sarek has some history, but he's not. He's only in two episodes of Next Generation. Maybe only one of the original series and then a couple of the movies, but. Star Wars runs into the same problem with its uh, new movies. You've got this massive universe, and it's really we're only focusing on the same dozen people. Mm. So I guess some people were probably annoyed that you had a guy like Saru, a Kelpian, in the early days of Starfleet, who's then never never shown again in the other ones. I don't really have a problem with that, because I think they should show new species. But everybody loves Spock. I cried when Leonard Nimoy died. I yeah. love... I love his cameos in the reboot movies. I, I love it. Spock is just the perfect Star Trek character. But, I mean, there's just a point where wait, the first episode, I'm like, why is this all about Spock? And I, had, I don't know if you've seen any of the new season, but yeah, yeah, I have. Thursday's episode, sitting at my phone, I, there was a Next Generation episode that I thought they were referencing, and I Googled it, and apparently it was possibly a different one. And I was like, okay. I would much rather have the episodes that you don't have to be, you know, bathed in the lore, uh, lore of Star Trek to understand. But if you're also a longtime fan and there's little snippets, because I mean, that's just sort of the beauty of the franchise is how dedicated it's been to its own history. Right. My favorite. So probably of all time is the Deep Space Nine uh, trials and tribulations episode. The one where the Deep Space Nine cast does the troubles with tribbles uh. because they do the Enterprise set is so, I mean, you just, they had so many people working on it, making sure that no fan sitting at home could point at one spot being like, oh, that, <laughs> that's, you know, out of place. It's, it's the kind of dedication. And when it comes to just Spock over and over and over again, uh, give me a break. let's do another character. I see. I see what you're saying. There was a Voyager episode where there were two Ferengi that kind of disappeared in an episode of The Next Generation. They kind of got uh, uh, sent away at the end through, I guess they fell in a wormhole or something. But then 
Voyager did an episode where those same Ferengi pop up in the Delta Quadrant. And because Voyager is a show that didn't really get to do a ton of. I, I guess they featured a fair amount of uh, recurring characters, but can't go back and show all these races that people are fans of when you're dealing with a show that's supposed to be completely a new ground. So right. I like I, I, Discovery would do more just plotting their own way. They've got a good cast. They've got yeah. a couple of good characters, a couple of ones that they need to develop more, but you know, more of that, less of Spock. What, what I liked about discovery is I feel like they're really embracing. Um, so, so for Tilly, for example, she's like somebody you would have met at a comic con or at a star or at a science fiction convention. She's like a real person out there. There's lots of Tilly type, uh, women out there who are science. They may not be obsessed with their uh, looks, in, if you will, because Tilly's a little bit, you know, if you will, pudgy than the typical uh, movie actress or TV show actress. So I had to appreciate how well they did that there. Because uh, honestly, if you look at the cast of The Discovery, they're more like real people and less like sculpted uh, actors and actresses. I think one of the big complaints from Voyager was when Seven of Nine was just introduced in a costume that made the actress almost fa- I, I think Jerry Ryan did faint a couple times uh, and I, I don't think I think showing real people you know science officer is not supposed to be a stick figure there was the scene in Star Trek Into Darkness where the science officer was just shown in her un- in her underwear for no real reason and I think I think the show has learned a lot about the downsides of just over-sexualizing women. In, and I, I think it helps to show more real characters versus Gene Roddenberry's original mandate that there would be no inter-Starfleet conflict was something that I think was incredibly naive. And just, just showing more three-dimensional people is certainly something that the series is doing a better job at versus sort of wooden subordinates who just go, you know, aye, aye, captain, and that's it. I, I think that the, the next generation in particular didn't do a great job. Well, you could argue that the, the original series didn't necessarily either, but that was more of a Kirk McCoy Spock show to begin with. But whereas the next generation, there weren't too many really great Geordi centric episodes. Worf had a couple. Counselor Troy really didn't have that many where a lot of times they were just kind of there to be supporting to the main plot or to what Picard was doing, but you know, they didn't necessarily flesh them out completely, which is kind of why I love deep space nine so much was it was so much more character based than plot based and discovery seems to be doing a pretty good job on that front, at least, especially with the limited time because they, they don't get to, they don't get 22 episodes or 26 episodes. I think some of them had maybe, yeah, a couple did, but you know, they're doing their best. Although we have Chris, Christopher Pike around. <laughs> I don't really understand Star Trek lore's love of... I actually, I rewatched the... I think it's called The Menagerie, the two-part original series episode that just uses the old... Oh, right. ...unaired oh, pilot okay. footage. And they, they recast Christopher Pike in that. And between that, the reboot movies, there's just all this love for Christopher Pike, who is... A character who the series decided really not to go forward with, but he's just been around for so long in Star Trek lore that people, have, for some reason, have 
sentimental attachment to a guy who really hasn't done anything. I don't, I don't really get the love for Christopher Pike, but I, I like the actor a lot uh, for Discovery, Anson Mount. He was on this uh, failed Marvel show called Inhumans that aired on ABC last year, and it was a really big bomb, and it was kind of a tragic bomb because I wanted it to be good, but he played the lead in that. And then it got canceled. It, it, they had uh, they premiered the episodes on in IMAX, and the CGI just really wasn't uh, movie theater quality, and it set a really bad tone in the beginning. And Inhumans failed, but now Anson Mount gets to be Christopher Pike, so that's kind of fun. If you enjoy listening to Sci-Fi Thoughts, but find it difficult to remember to. Check the website for new shows. Get this technology from the future. Install into your phone a podcast player. Using this, you can subscribe to our podcast feed. And next thing you know, you'll be cruising around in your car with your phone plugged in, playing sci-fi thoughts, or you'll be out there jogging, or you'll be doing whatever you want to do and have your ears plugged into some cool science fiction programming. You can find instructions on LancerKind.com. Next episode, Ian talks to us further. So the Voyager book is an academic book. The tentative title is Voyager, an edited collection, but I'm not, I only contributed a chapter to it, so I'm not really involved in the editorial capacity beyond my own. And the way academic books work is a, a bit different than more mainstream fictional ones. You, an editor compiles it and then they pretty much deal with it. But uh, McFarland Publisher Publishing is putting it out. But I did a chapter on the Doctor who is... Maybe my all-time favorite Star Trek character, 